I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily life, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. How are you doing with your Lenten practices? We're about halfway through with our Lenten pilgrimage on the Saturday of the third week of Lent as we journey together toward Easter Sunday where we'll celebrate the Paschal Mystery, the, uh, the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that that has accomplished for us in bringing us back into relationship, reconciling us to God the Father. And this is generally the time when we start to get a little bit antsy we fudge a little bit on our Lenten practices, on our penances, uh, because, you know, it's hard to give up the things that we like. Uh, I gave up Dr. Pepper because I like it way too much, and, uh, and I haven't had any. And, you know, every year I do this, and I'm like, you know what, when Lent is over, I'm still not going to go back to it. And I, I make it a little way because I realize that I don't really need that thing. Uh, it's yummy. It brings me a little bit of happiness, but I know that it does no favors to my body. Right? I know that it's not good for me as much as I think that it's good. And, and so long about this time, I'm like, well, you know, I, I could, it's Sunday. I could, I could have one. I, I, I'll, I'm strong. I'll be good. <laughs> you know it. You've done it. You're like, this thing that I gave up that's not doing me any favors in terms of helping me grow closer to Christ, uh, this is a thing that I don't need. And every time that I long for that thing, it's going to remind me how much more I need Christ. But, but you know, Jesus, you're going you know, to be there for a while because Jesus is taking us on a long journey. And we think, I can, I can catch up. <laughs> so how are, how are you doing with your Lenten observance? Today we're going to be talking with Dr. Maria Morrow about penance, and largely because it's a concept that is misunderstood far too often. We think of penance as being something merely that occurs uh, after, the, after our confession. We go to confession, the Father gives us penance, we pray our, our couple of prayers, and then uh, we're back out into the world. So penance has been relegated largely to just being a step that we go through uh, for the sacrament of confession. But penance plays a much larger role in our spiritual growth and maturity than we, than we often give it credit for. Penance is not just this thing that we pick up at Lent so that we can have kind of a Christian New Year's resolution. You know, I, I promised to go to the gym on January 1st, and I promised to give up chocolate for Lent uh, when we get around to, uh, to Lent. And uh, this is not what penance is for. This is not the purpose of it. First of all, far too often we end up failing both in our New Year's resolution and, and in our uh, Lenten penance, because we expect that we're the ones who have to do all the work. And we don't really comprehend the reward that will come to us. We don't, it's not laid in front of us. There's not this thing of, well, if you do this this many times, then you're going to have X outcome. And so here we are, we're coming, trying to think of something that's going to be meaningful uh, to give up for Lent, and we don't know why we're doing it. We have no idea that the purpose of penance is to develop our relationship with God. We, and, and that there's a specific way that that happens. Maybe we've got some vague idea of if I give up chocolate, um, I'll have a better relationship with God. But we don't really know the steps that go from saying no to that piece of chocolate and, and deepening our relationship with Christ. 
And so penance is looked on maybe with a little bit of suspicion, maybe with a sense of social obligation, uh, but not as something that is actually spiritually beneficial. Uh, Part of this may be uh, one of two extreme views. One view is that through penance, I have to make up all the work for my sin. I've sinned so much, X amount, and so now I have to do X amount of penance. Uh, And this can lead to, well, it can lead to scrupulosity where you view every single little thing you do as a sin uh, and you, you create these extreme penances for yourself that really you are not made to hold because you're doing all the work, right? You're uh, making up for your sins with your penance, and that's not the way it works. The Paschal Mystery is all about Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection for the purpose of reconciling us to God. The work has been done. But that leads us to the other extreme that says, because Christ has done all the work, I don't have to do anything. All I have to do is pray one single prayer and, uh, and tell God that I love him, and, uh, and then he takes care of the rest. And this laxity creates a bankrupt view of our relationship with God. Uh, what relationship on earth is going to be sustained with only one person doing all the work, right? We are called to be Christ's disciples. He has redeemed us for the purpose of walking with him, that we would uh, walk with him and, and follow him and do the things that he did and say the things that he said and, and to be his body, his ambassadors here on earth. Uh, Paul calls us ministers of reconciliation. So there is a requirement for us in this relationship, but it's not us that's doing all the work. We now partner with Christ in his redeeming work, in acknowledgement of his redeeming work, in, in thanksgiving for his redeeming work, now we develop our relationship with Christ. And penance does this very well when approached properly, right? We can't just say, well, I'm going to give this up and it's all going to be good, or I don't have to give anything up because Christ did it all. We say, okay, what are the things in my life that are benefiting my relationship with God? And what are the things in my life that are hindering, that are distracting me, that are taking me away from focusing on Christ? And we start one by one as the Holy Spirit leads. This is a big thing. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is asking of you for penance. As the Holy Spirit leads, we begin whittling away those things that are taking too much of our time and too much of our attention so that we can become more fully disciples of Jesus Christ, following where he leads, hearing his commands to us, the commands of of love one another as I have loved you, to uh, extend mercy, forgive as I have forgiven you. All of these things that he's called us to that we can only do when we remove those things that distract us from following Christ. Got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with Dr. Maria Morrow about going gray for Lent. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Or just come over to OutsideTheWalls.com, find out ways to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. So much more to do over there and so much more to come right after this. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. 
I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. And today, as we are sitting squarely in the middle of Lent, we are talking about penance. No, don't don't turn the radio off. No, we're going to talk about penance and give you a little bit of a greater sense of what the purpose of penance is and maybe help you in your Lenten practice today as we talk with Dr. Maria Morrow. She's an adjunct professor at Seton Hall University in Catholic Studies out in New Jersey, and we're, we're just pleased to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I found you uh, through this little project that you're doing. Uh, and you, and of course, you wrote a, a blog post about how our smartphones, which you've got my attention already because I'm kind of addicted to my smartphone, how our smartphones are like the one ring out of the Lord of the Rings. So now you have my attention there because I'm a nerd. And, and you draw this lovely parallel for this project you're doing called Going Gray for Lent. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in the second segment, but just give us an overview of what this project is. Okay. Well, uh, like you, I have a smartphone and it's kind of funny because when I was very slow to get my smartphone, um, and I used to, you know, look at people looking at their phones and kind of look down on them and say, Oh, I will never be like that. Mm -hmm. And then my daughter started playing soccer and I was having a really hard time reading the texts that her coach was sending about when practice time was. So I finally, I broke down, I got a smartphone and I, sa I said to my younger brother, who's more of a millennial, I said, well, I'm not going to be like those people that are always looking at their phone. And he just laughed at me and he said, you'll see, you'll see what happens. So, um, so here I am two years later. And like other people, I, I'm conscious of the fact that my phone sometimes get my, gets my attention more than it should. Right. So, yeah. So we can talk more about the Go Grayscale later, but that's the history of it personally for me. So you've taken this this project, Go Gray for Lent, which we'll again talk about a little later, and you've made it into a penance for you as you go through the Great. season of Lent. Now, uh, we, we get the idea uh, to some extent, I think, at least we have some conception of what penance is when we're talking about we go to confession and mm -hmm. and Father gives us penance and we go out and right. uh, depending on whether Father's in a good mood, we may say one Hail Mary <laughs> or we may have to do a whole rosary, you know? Right. But but that's our whole conception of it. It's like, okay, confession is not finished until I do my penance. Yes. But it hasn't right. always been the way. So talk to us about the history of penance. Well, I mean, it's very interesting just that point about doing the penance after confession because, of course, there is no penance that can actually make up for your sins. Right. And so as uh, like Thomas Aquinas would explain, God nonetheless accepts it as payment, as like equitable payment. Mm -hmm. So because God is merciful, he accepts it as being a payment for our sins, even though it's never going to be sufficient. So I, I think one of the things that I found in my research to be most compelling is this idea that penance is best done socially. And so if you look, for example, at the Old Testament, mm -hmm. um, and there's a scholar, Gary Anderson, at the University of Notre Dame, and he's written, he's written two very good books, one called Sin, a History, and the other one called Charity. And uh, he makes this point that if you look at the Old Testament, it's the people Israel, they're doing their penance together. And you can even see like when Jonah goes to the Ninevites, it's all the people of Nineveh are in sackcloth and ashes. It's not just one people. It's the whole town repents as a whole. 
or even if you see like David in the Old Testament when he's doing penance, all of his, you know, his court, his household is doing penance along with him. So many people don't realize that in the United States, and I mean, really for most of the history of the church and even still in other places in the church, that Lenten penance is something done socially. And so until 1967, well, the Lent of 67, uh, Catholics in the United States all practiced fasting on every day of Lent. And now that seems like this really difficult sort of thing to do. I mean, I think most of us have a hard time just with Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Right. And to think that all these Catholics did it every single day of Lent, excluding Sundays and solemnities, mm -hmm. but they were able to do it in part because they were doing it together. It wasn't, you know, this one individual with their very creative, unique penance trying to be a maverick and do it with their willpower. Right. It was more like there were social practices in place. There were fish fries and even the Catholic schools wouldn't always, you know, they wouldn't serve meat on a Friday during Lent and that kind of thing. So there were social structures in place and it was a way of, you know, penance was something that people did together. Well, one of the interesting things about that idea of social penance, it's twofold. One is we recognize that our private sin affects the whole community, right? And so all of a sudden, I'm not stuck in this, this independent idea of, well, I'm just an island unto myself, and I go, to, I go and sit with them at Mass once a week, but that's about it. Uh, all of a sudden now, I've got a little bit extra accountability for whether or not I'm going to engage in that temptation or not, because it affects the entire community. It yes. affects the whole body of Christ. Yes, that is a very, very important point. And I think, you know, there, there were movements in the past and people still talk about social sin and sort of the structures of sin that we can't get out of, whether it's the way our clothes are made mm -hmm. or the way our food is grown and the people that are involved in picking it, not being paid fairly. So there's still these, social sins in place. And so seeing penance as social is one way of trying to counter that social sin as well. Yeah. One of the interesting things that I've noticed about uh, penance, at least in terms of going to the confessional, is the penance that we are offered is an opportunity, whether it be uh, to, to pray for someone in charity or to go out and do a charitable act. It's an opportunity for us not to uh, to atone for our sin, but to reconnect to God after that sin has been forgiven. That's a really good point as well. And I think this is one of the things that Protestants and Catholics can sometimes get a little, you know, we, we don't see eye to eye on the idea of doing penance. And there was a whole debate about how this line is translated, um, whether it's translated do penance in the, in the New Testament. But there is something, as Gary Anderson says, that sin is very, it has, he calls it a thingness, which is not really a word. But there's this idea that sin is really something concrete. And as you were just saying, like sin, even individual sin can have effects far beyond an individual. It can have effects on, you know, whole groups of people, not even just those close to you, but even, you know, farther beyond that. Mm -hmm. And so um, when we see sin as having like a thingness, there's this desire to sort of like the images in the Old Testament to like carry the burden away. You know, they would <clears throat> tie their sins on the goat and the goat could carry away. There's this idea. It's like a very physical thing or another image commonly used in the Old Testament is a stain, like a stain that you're trying to get. So it's something very physical. 
And there's something about doing penance that's a way of sort of, like, as you said, reconnecting with God and acknowledging that this is a, it's a thingness that requires some kind of action to sort of respond to the thingness with another thing. Right. That, that's a very interesting point because yeah. we, we like to think about our sin as an act or as uh, this intangible uh, thing that I do. But you, you take that idea of the scapegoat. And now all of a sudden, my sin occupies a certain place and a certain thing. And in some sense, this this idea of your going gray for Lent, it attaches, even though the smartphone in and of itself is not intrinsically evil, it attaches a, a space to that thing which uh, is detrimental to us. Right. Right. And I think even, uh, you know, when you think about the sacrament of confession, if you read the way that, again, Thomas Aquinas for example, talks about it, and the catechism would write about it. Uh, the The matter mm-hmm. of the sacrament is, in a sense, the sins. So there's a sense where there is the sin is matter. Once again, it's something that needs right. to be taken care of, right? right. And to some extent, thinking about it as matter, um, because for every sacrament, you have to have proper matter and proper form. That's one right. of the reasons that if you go into the confessional and you withhold something, that sacrament is not valid because you've not presented the proper matter, even though you've gone through the proper form. The proper matter, of course, being all of your sins and the contrition right. that comes with it. Right. Yes, that's true as well. So in, you've written about uh, Thomas' account of sin being the response of penance, which is understood both as the sacrament and as a mm-hmm. virtue. Talk a little bit about right. penance as a virtue. Okay, that's a great question. And again, it's one of the things that I feel that we've sort of lost in our culture is this idea that penance is a virtue. So, and Thomas writes about penance as a virtue within the context of the sacrament of penance. Mm -hmm. So in that case, someone who has a virtue of penance is someone who has a virtue where they amend for their sins, specifically within the context of confession. So that that point is important just in and of itself because it ties into this larger sort of penitential culture. And as I was saying, in the United States prior to the Lent of 1967, Catholics all did this penance together for every day of Lent. And the abstinence from meat on Fridays, we now associate that with Lent. Mm -hmm. That's something we do in Lent. But prior to Advent of 1966, abstinence from meat on Fridays was a year-round thing. So it was something that people did all the time. So we see, like, you know, if I were to go out and try to run a 5K only on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, Mm -hmm. that's kind of hard to do, right? But if it's something, if I run throughout the year once a week, then I'm in shape to do it on those days. So you can see where that kind of penance in terms of abstinence from meat or fasting if it's something that's a part of your culture that you cultivate that virtue within your culture, then people are, I guess, better at doing it because it's a virtue. But in the United States, with this sort of dramatic decline, which, to be fair, the United States bishops, they weren't trying to get away from penance. They were actually trying to renew penance. But what they did was they took these sort of social practices and said, well, you know, I mean, some of these things don't work well for people. I mean, if this person's vegetarian, then abstaining from meat isn't very penitential. And 
you know, this person, you know, doesn't eat much anyway. So if I, so what they were trying to do was have Catholics find something that would really speak to them and be a meaningful penance for the individual. Right. The unfortunate sort of collapse that happened then is not, not necessarily their faults per se. <laughs> However, it it is a fact that when people are obligated to do things and they know they're required, they are sort of more likely to do it. It's a nice idea that we would all be inspired, but I think, you know, we see certain remnants where it's actually kind of inspiring if you think about Lent. So many people do still do Lenten resolutions. Right. So now, for example, like we are all supposed to be making sacrifices on Fridays throughout the year. It could be abstinence from meat, could be other things. But I'd, I'd say that, like, I mean, I hadn't heard of that until I started studying it. So I would say most Catholics in America don't recognize that that sort of penance is supposed to happen once a week. But the fact that we've held on to the Lenten resolutions is somewhat of a testament to this, you know, the the bishop's idea of individualism and not idea of individualism, but individualist penance right. sort of being meaningful. And it actually is what lays the foundation for having penances like go gray for Lent. Yeah. We're talking today with Dr. Maria Morrow about penance. And of course, this is something that requires not just to do the minimum, but to form our conscience, to spend time with the Holy Spirit and ask him to form us into his image. We've got much more of this conversation right after this, including a conversation about this specific project, Go Gray for Lent, something I'm doing. We've posted on it on social media. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we're talking with Dr. Maria Morrow. Uh, She's the mother of six, author of the book Sin in the 60s, available through CUA Press, and is currently an adjunct professor at Seton Hall University in Catholic Studies out in New Jersey. Thank you again for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. So as a mother of six, you understand penance very well. Oh, yes. I have lots of involuntary mortifications every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, at, at the end there, you were talking about when the bishops changed the rules for penance in the last segment. And mm-hmm. I, I understand the thought behind it, because there are some people who, whether whether they're pregnant or whether they are diabetic or have some other condition, that, mm-hmm. that the requirements are too much. Uh, and, and so the church is very compassionate. If she's going to require something, then it's something that she feels it shouldn't be a heavy burden, right? Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you tie up heavy burdens, but you're unwilling to lift a finger to help. So the bishops say, hey, we want to help make this easier. And yet right. we have to to be a people who form our consciences to be able to to discern what are the things that are hindering me from connecting with God and and what kind of penance... What kind of mortification will allow me to reestablish? So, for instance, um, when we fast, every time we are hungry and we recall that we're fasting, that hunger now becomes the catalyst by which we drive ourselves to prayer because we know that we should be hungering for God and the purpose of our fast is to reconnect us to God. And so the very act of that penance is also the mechanism by which we then pursue God. Right. Right. No, that's a very good point. And I, one of the um, Eucharistic 
prefaces that they've been using during the season of Lent has a, has a beautiful line about um, letting go of the things of this earth so as to hold fast to the things of the next. And I think that's definitely one of the things that penance is trying to do and that the season of Lent is trying to do is to keep our eyes focused on God, focused on heaven, focused on the end of the journey. Now, during the break, you were talking about this design ethicist from Google who just basically came out and was talking about the problem of the way smartphones are designed. You know, the red bubble pops up and you impulsively, I've got to find out what that notification is so I can get the red off my screen. And so it becomes this, this unspoken drive, uh, this impulse, this, this urge that we don't even necessarily think about. And so you're working on this project called Go Gray for Lent, and that's gray in the American spelling, G-R-A-Y, gograyforlent.blogspot.com, where you seek to to mitigate some of that that primal response so that we can be more thoughtful and, and really realize how tied we are to that little glowing box of light in our pocket. Right. And so I had never really, I didn't even know there was an option to go grayscale on a phone. I hadn't thought about it until I saw an article about this Tristan Harris is his name. So he was a designer at Google and he realized that they were so busy competing for people's attention that they weren't really giving a thought to how technology was impacting the culture Mm -hmm. in a negative way to some extent, because it was all about designing things that required people's attention or grabbed people's attention and made it so that it was something, the technology was indispensable, so that rather than using the technology as a tool, they became sort of a tool of the technology. So Tristan Harris, so he tried to start having things designed more ethically with conscience in mind, and he's now left Google and started another project called Time Well Spent. And so this article that I read on him, he was promoting putting your phone on grayscale, because there is something about the color. I mean... We don't often think about how our phones were designed, but they were, in fact, designed to get our attention. And so we think it's sort of a neutral tool, I think, maybe. But that bright red flashing, it's it's trying to get us to open our messages. The pop-up notifications that you hear a ding, it wants you to look right now. And we've we've gotten to the point where we do. We'll we'll respond immediately, like sort of, you know, the little dogs responding. Pat loves dogs. Yes, we have to respond right away. So... Harris suggested putting your phone on grayscale because, and it's true for for those of us that have tried it, there's much more conscious thought goes into navigating it because you're not clued in by sort of the color scheme. So you have to more like search for an app. You have to notice there's a little bubble there with your messages or something. So it takes sort of more conscious thought, kind of slows us down a little, helps us to be more recollected. You know, and since I've done this, because the the buzz, I, I don't have my volume on, but it buzzes at me in my pocket. And since yeah. I've since I've gone grayscale, first I'm not putting it in my pocket as often, which that's right. that's a big deal. Uh, but mm-hmm. but second, you know, I'm sitting there in in a gathering or in a conversation with someone, and it goes off, and I have to consciously will myself and say, I am not reaching in my pocket. I'm not pulling that out. I, it can wait eons upon eons have gone on in history without someone reaching in their pocket immediately to find out what just happened. Right. I can, it can wait. Yes. 
Well, I will say that's one of the things that surprised me about going grayscale. I kind of thought it would be sort of an automatic fix mm -hmm. in terms of looking at my phone. But it's definitely the case that some things are more boring, like social media. Some things are pretty much impossible, like online shopping. Right. It's very difficult if you can't tell what color anything is. Um, but at the same time, I've noticed, like, I do still look at my phone. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I will still spend time on social media. But I am more likely to put it down like you. I've, I've accidentally left it at home now several times, I think, because it's just not as interesting to me. Right. It doesn't get my attention quite as much. But at the same time, it, it wasn't like, for me anyway, it's definitely been a penance in the sense that it's less exciting and entertaining. It's boring. But it hasn't necessarily been a fix that's, you know, right. diverted right. all of my attention elsewhere. So, If you're just joining us, we're talking with Dr. Maria Morrow. And I, I'm interested in this this idea of penance, because we tend to think of uh, any mortification as almost this, this uh, self-flagellation, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm just whipping myself and what's the purpose of it? I had a friend who, uh, before I became Catholic, was practicing Lent as a non-denominational uh, Christian. And he ended up being so frustrated by the idea of penance that he ended up leaving the faith because he thought, if I can't really achieve this penance that I'm trying for and I'm just beating myself up over it, then why should I even try if it's just just about beating myself up? And, and it draws to mind this picture of um, a story from the life of St. Benedict where there was this monk, uh, the, this um, hermit who lived in a cave who was nearby Monte Cassino where... Benedict was the abbot. And he decided that in order to prevent himself from ever leaving uh, the cave, that he would bind himself up with chains and fetters. And so he chained himself in this cave. And when Benedict heard about this, he, he came to him and he said, uh, let it not be so. Don't do this to yourself. If you must bind yourself, bind yourself with the fetters of love for God and not with fetters of iron. And so that, that monk then, that uh, hermit, took off the chains and still did the same thing he would have done. He never left the cave until the day of his death. Uh, and I think that too often we think about penance in the idea of, uh, of punishing ourselves or chaining ourselves to something rather than fixing our attention on Christ and, and binding ourselves in love for him to him. That's a really important point. And it's not altogether unrelated to what the bishops were trying to do either. They kind of saw that when something's obligatory and required, that people can do it sort of heartlessly in sort of a routine, you know, meaningless way. It's possible for that to happen unless the people make an effort to be recollected and to remember that they're motivated by the love of Christ, the love of God. So uh, it's something that we always have to keep in mind when we're doing penance. And, you know, I think like you're thinking about your friend, that's another sort of danger of trying to do everything on our own if we try to do it individually, mm -hmm. and especially if we aspire to do things too difficult for us. So this is when it's helpful to have a spiritual director or a confessor that you can talk to about these things, because sometimes, you know, we think we can sleep on the floor every night, and then actually, then we're really grumpy with our kids, and we yell at them too much, and that's not a good penance, you know, right. or like the story of Dorothy Day, giving up smoking. And they said, it's not fair to everyone else. Right. <laughs> so, but it definitely penance is always something that should be motivated by love of God, whether it's the sacrament of penance, going to confession, 
or whether it's going grayscale on your phone. This is something that we do once again to remind us of not to hold fast to the things of this earth, but to look at look to the things of heaven. And there's a fine line there, and it's really hard to walk the balance of saying, this is too hard for me, or saying, I can't do this on my own, I need help. Because really, Christ asked us, if we're going to follow him, to take up our cross. And so there are things that are too difficult for us, and yet he calls us to, out of, out of our, our love for him. But at the same time, he doesn't call us uh, just to to punish ourselves, he calls us into relationship with him. And so it's this fine balance of saying, I, I want to do a penance that is challenging to me and that will actually draw me closer to Christ. It's not just some gimme that I can do easily. But I also don't want to, to overburden myself because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Right. How That's do you true find too. That dif- how do you find that, that balance? Well, I mean, it it is somewhat of a balance, and especially like when we were talking about virtue before, especially if you're only ever going to try to do penance during Lent, mm-hmm. it's it can have a feeling of sort of being overburdened. If it's something, if you try to make small sacrifices all the time, you know, smiling at the person that annoys you or mm-hmm. listening to that neighbor that just won't shut up or, <laughs> you know, skipping the salad dressing on your salad or the butter on your toast. I mean, if we cultivate sort of a habit of, dealing, you know, taking on voluntary penances. And then also, like you mentioned about having kids. And I said, all the involuntary penances, it's true. There's always something, you know, they insult my cooking and they (laughs) leave their dirty socks on the floor. And if we use these as opportunities of penance to say like, you know, I offer this as a penance for my sins. If we sort of cultivate that habit, then Lenten, Lenten, Lenten practices are not as overburdened, you know, overburdening as they can be. But at the same time, I have to say, it's, I feel like I'm my best self during Lent. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there's sort of a relief when you get to Easter. And whether you fasted well, or you fasted poorly, whether you, you know, did an awesome job on your resolution, or you failed miserably, there it is, Jesus is risen from the dead. You know, in the end, it all comes out. It's like, it's sort of, you see, it's God's grace. So even though you worked hard, you know, it, it helps us to cooperate with God's grace. But in the end, Jesus wins anyway. Right. So penance is sort of a win-win thing, you know. You, you can win by doing it well. You can also win by failing mm-hmm. because sometimes we need those failures to remind us that this is really in God's hands. It's not about what a great penitential person I am. Right. Well, and those, about God. those failures provide you with the humility to say, you know what, I, I am not that great at this. And that's the scripture encourages us to think of others as better than ourselves. You, you look at some of the writings of the church fathers. We're reading through the order of St. Benedict right now, the rule. And man, when he talks about humility, he's like, think of yourself as a worm. You're awful. And, and this whole culture that we have of self-esteem just recoils at that. And yet if we do so well on our penance that we think, oh, look how wonderful I am at penance. Well, now that's counterintuitive because the goal is to develop humility. We've been talking with Dr. Maria Morrow. She is uh, the adjunct professor at Seton Hall University in Catholic Studies out in New Jersey. Thank you so much for joining us today. You are welcome. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Talk about what your penance is this year. Don't go anywhere. Outside the Walls will be right back right after this. 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today, we've been talking about penance, everyone's favorite topic, as we are here in the season of Lent. We had a conversation with Dr. Maria Morrow. Uh, She is currently behind this program, this project called Go Gray for Lent. You can find that at gograyforlent.blogspot.com. That's G-R-A-Y. Go gray for Lent. Uh, And it's something that uh, is really intriguing to me. It's something I've been doing for the last week and plan to carry out throughout the rest of Lent. And uh, it's amazing what what impact it has in helping us see just how drab uh, the digital life can be. It, it takes all, a lot of the joy that we get out of, the, out of the digital life, and it sucks it out of it so that we can, not just for that purpose, but so that we can more enjoy the, the rest of the world that surrounds us and, and be present a little bit more fully uh, in the beauties of, of the world that God has given us. If you missed any part of that conversation or if you want to share it with someone else, have no fear. All the episodes are archived. Just head on over to OutsideTheWalls.com. It'll be the first episode at the top as soon as uh, we finish airing right here. And while you're there, click that Patreon link. It says Patreon support the show uh, because there's more to this conversation with Dr. Morrow available there to those people who support the show at at least a $5 a month level. You can support the show for as little as $2 a month, up to quite a bit more. And each different level of support per month comes with different perks. So go over and see which uh, which level suits you best. For as little as a coffee a month, you get four extra segments every month, uh, except on months that we have five episodes, and then you get five extra segments. But more than that, you get to be a part of the community of folks who come together and ensure that we are able to bring you this show week after week. It's a great group for whom we are very grateful. So let's go ahead now and turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the book of Hosea, chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord. It is he who has rent, but he who will heal us. He has struck us, but he will bind our wounds. He will revive us after two days. On the third day, he will raise us up to live in his presence. Let us know, let us strive to know the Lord as certain as the dawn is his coming, and his judgment shines forth like the light of day. He will come to us like the rain, like spring rain that waters the earth. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your piety is like a morning cloud, like the dew that early passes away. For this reason I smote them through the prophets. I slew them by the words of my mouth. For it is love that I desire, not sacrifice, and knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. That reading comes to us from the book of Hosea, chapter 6, and it points us again to that idea that our penances, what we select for ourselves, what we select as a community, uh, should be something that draws us deeper into relationship with God, that's done out of our affection for God, and that not out of some obligation that is, that is a begrudging obligation. A, a joyful obligation is what it should be. And so we hear here first that, that God is faithful, and he, even though he may punish us, even though we may feel uh, the heavy hand of our God upon us, we know that 
he's returning and that he will raise us up and that he will again shine his favor on us. And even if you've never experienced that yourself, that's what Lent kind of does for us is it lets us relive that idea that, hey, not everything is right with me and I need to uh, to readjust my priorities. I need to readjust my focus so that I can be back into relationship with God. And then we hear God replying in the second half of that verse how important it is, what his desire is, is for us to love him, not to go through the motions, not just to perform sacrifices or penances because it's what we do at Lent, but rather that we would have a deep and abiding passion and love for our God. Our reading from church history today comes from a letter by St. Maximus the Confessor. God's will is to save us, and nothing pleases him more than our coming back to him with true repentance. The heralds of truth and the ministers of divine grace have told us this from the beginning, repeating it in every age. Indeed, God's desire for our salvation is the primary and preeminent sign of his infinite goodness. It was precisely in order to show that there is nothing closer to God's heart that the divine word of God the Father, with untold condescension, lived among us in the flesh and did, suffered, and said all that was necessary to reconcile us to God the Father when we were at enmity with him and to restore us to the life of blessedness from which we had been exiled. He healed our physical infirmities by miracles. He freed us from our sins many and grievous as they were, by suffering and dying, taking them upon himself as if he were answerable for them, sinless though he was. He also taught us in many different ways that we should wish to imitate him by our own kindness and genuine love for one another. So it was that Christ proclaimed that he had come to call sinners to repentance, not the righteous, and that it was not the healthy who required a doctor, but the sick. He declared that he had come to look for the sheep that was lost and that it was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel that he had been sent. Speaking more obscurely in the parable of the silver coin, he tells us that the purpose of his coming was to reclaim the royal image which had been coated with the filth of sin. You can be sure that there is joy in heaven, he said, over one sinner who repents. To give the same lesson, he revived the man who, having fallen into the hands of the brigands, had been left stripped half-dead from his wounds. He poured wine and oil on the wounds, bandaged them, placed the man on his own mule, and brought him to an inn, where he left sufficient money to have him cared for, and promised to repay any further expense on his return. Again, he told of how that father, who was goodness itself, was moved with pity for his profligate son, who returned and made amends by repentance. How he embraced him and dressed him once more in the fine garments that befitted his own dignity and did not reproach him for any of his sins. So too, when he found wandering in the mountains and hills the one sheep that had strayed from God's flock of a hundred, he brought it back to the fold. But he did not exhaust it by driving it ahead of him. Instead, He placed it on his own shoulders, and so compassionately he restored it safely to the flock. So also he cried out, Come to me, all you that toil and are heavy of heart, 
Accept my yoke, he said, by which he meant his commands, or rather, the whole way of life that he taught us in the gospel. He then speaks of a burden, but that is only because repentance seems difficult. In fact, however, my yoke is easy, he assures us, and my burden is light. Then again, he instructs us in divine justice and goodness, telling us to be like our heavenly Father, holy, perfect, and merciful. Forgive, he says, and you will be forgiven. Behave toward other people as you would wish them to behave toward you. That reading comes from a letter by St. Maximus the Confessor. There are a couple of reasons that we don't like penance. The first, I think, is because the world offers us instant gratification. We live in the age of cell phones and microwaves, and, and everything that is good uh, is to be had right now. Uh, you know, we, the, the world offers us cotton candy, which is fleeting and, and unfulfilling, but gosh, it sure is bright and sweet. And, and so we don't like to let go of those things that, that seem easy. Uh, because as easy as the yoke is of Christ, it, it seems so much more difficult because it takes time. It's a, it is a, um, a delayed gratification because we're, we're trusting that, that heaven is awaiting us and that full union with God is awaiting us. And gosh, if it's, if it's going to take so long, can't I just put it off a little longer? You know you've thought it. Maybe not explicitly, but we've had that thought. And then the second reason that we don't like penance is that we think that penance depends on us. I've got to give these things up, otherwise I won't be in union with God. And and I need to be, I need to work harder, I need to have a better prayer time, I need to do all of these things. And and it feels almost like a New Year's resolution of, well, I don't wanna. But by golly, I guess I have to because it's Lent. And this reading from, uh, from St. Maximus the Confessor draws a different picture for us. God is the one, through Christ, who's already done all the work necessary for our redemption. And even repentance, though it looks difficult because there is a burden, even though it looks difficult, Christ is still the one who does the heavy lifting. And so we can, trusting in his mercy, turn to him and say, even if we can only say that prayer uh, from the gospel of Luke, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I repent, help me to get there more fully. Lord, I I want to have a closer relationship with you and not do this out of just strict obligation. Help me to fall in love, right? Begin that conversation. Move toward that penitence. Give the Holy Spirit room and space and permission to speak into your life and to help form you for that repentance. And Christ will meet you right where you are and will do the heavy lifting to reconcile you back to the Father. That's all the time we have for this week. Make sure to make your way over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link for more of the conversation with Dr. Morrow. Join us on social media over at Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. Today's show has been brought to you by the Highlands and all those who support the show through Patreon. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.